Welcome to the attack action. Your hosts. The Battle Bros. Taylor and Isaac. What's up, Isaac? Uh, my my dog might be snoring in the background here, and it's uh oh, it's hot back summer. Isn't <laughs> that what they're calling it? Yeah, totally. So let's fucking party <laughs> and play some flesh and blood. Ooh, wow, the uh level of intensity you took this podcast to <laughs> in that moment has thrown me off and plus we, how we have the microphone situated it covers your whole face so usually we stare into each other's eyes but now right unblinking we're, we're like <laughs> yeah that's why we are sponsored this week by visine <laughs> uh anyway so well on that note yeah. here's your podcast yeah totally oh yeah don't let me forget to Take a mid-podcast photo for Instagram. Oh, cool. Yeah. Sure. We'll do some kind of cool pose or something. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, also, I hope you guys enjoyed our new intro sound effects. <laughs> so, Take that, Arsenal Pass. Yeah, we're going bigger. I mean, we, we love that podcast. Yeah. But we just thought that would be pretty funny. They, their, their intro is pretty sick over the top. They 100% do not listen to our podcast. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but if you do, ha. <laughs> uh, okay. On, Nailed it. Got him. Uh, welcome to episode 21. Woo. Over 20. Did it. Yeah, last time we didn't even, we weren't, didn't prepare or anything. But we made a lot now, so it's a big milestone. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, if this is your first episode with us, welcome. Uh, we're going to talk about flesh and blood stuff and we're going to do it with uh, our typical friendshipness to you and with each other. Beautifully stated. <laughs> that was, uh, I thought you were going to start doing some like some noise i thought it was gonna we were gonna turn into slam I gonna poetry you out. i thought it was gonna be slam i thought we we're gonna slam poetry right there oh, sorry second. left you hanging yeah uh it's fine All okay right. so on today's episode we got some news some shout outs some listener listener questions and then we're going to kind of do an upgrade to our previous episode episode three in deck building yeah well part two here yeah or like more like one I don't know. That was like deck building prime. And now we're like deck building alpha. And it's more based yeah. on like, which we'll get into this, but it's not so much deck building. It's like how to test and refine and just kind of the process of 
playing a brand new hero deck concept, that sort of thing. In- right. We've just evolved in this game a lot and learned a lot more about testing and, um, you know, developing a specific deck or character. Um, so we're going to uh, kind of gloss over things we covered in episode three and, uh, you know, talk about some things we did not cover back then. Yep. But first we have uh, some shout outs. So I'm going to shout out Dice Jar Gaming or Dice Jar Games. You should, uh, if you haven't watched any of their YouTube content, they actually put out really good uh, competitive gameplay. And if you're like me, uh, you're always trying to look to see what other people are doing in terms of like builds and play lines and that sort of thing. And you're like trying to learn and there's just not a lot of more competitive uh, flesh and blood gameplay out there. And plus it's, it's live. So it's not on TTS, which I can't, I have a hard time watching that. So anyway, they have really good gameplay for you to watch. And plus they've started a podcast, which is above average. You know, well, and maybe only getting better. Yeah, they just totally. started. You it, know how that yeah. goes. It's it's a good podcast, and it's it's pretty New Zealand centric, and like what's happening with them centric. So yeah, uh, I don't live in southern New Zealand, so some things aren't as applicable. But are they on the South Island? Yeah, Star so. Games. They're in uh, Dunedin. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. That's a good hot tip, though, because I find um, watching a lot of content creators, uh, not all of them are like cutting edge meta, which if you're just watching a video for some gameplay and having some fun, you know, great. Like, no no shade on that. But just for me, like sometimes if I watch a specific matchup, like I want to learn a bunch, you know. So uh, sometimes certain videos can be a little underwhelming. So that just to me, that's mm-hmm. a good tip yeah. to uh, point people in the direction of some some real cutting edge dice jar yeah shit for us aspiring competitive players yeah yeah well yeah yeah, very competitive aspiring players (laughs) (laughs) nice well we already got to the first part yeah (laughs) um (laughs) are you do you have any uh shout outs or you want to move right into news uh yeah i won't do this every time because people get tired of it but i'm gonna shout out um robert from New Hampshire, I think, who I played on the Covenant League. Oh, hell last yeah. Because he's just, once again, the nicest guy. <laughs> also been into the game since before Arcane Rising came out. Oh, OG. Yeah, I totally. Bet, I bet has, like, you, all the cards. And did you beat him with Azalea? I did. Okay, nice. I did. And I also don't shout these out just to keep mentioning how I'm, like, whomping people with Azalea. But that's just a byproduct. We just played a game... Me, Chain versus Azalea. And, yeah, it was a sizzler. And I can't... And I won, but I felt like I lost also. It was one-to-one and very close at the end. Totally. It was good. Uh, on the uh, on the river is how I won. Yeah. <laughs> on the flop or whatever it is. Uh, it just... It gets really... It's just nuts because the whole game... Like, I'm playing fine, but then, like, as it wanes on, I get more and more terrified of, because you always have a a large hand to play, 
But then also blood debt could kill you depending on how that hand goes. Totally. And it almost so, did. Uh, and if you're at home going like, Azalea, doesn't Azalea suck? I'm like, no, you you just haven't played Isaac. He's the greatest, <laughs> I'm going to say it again, the greatest Azalea player in the world. Thanks, man. And um, if you can find someone who is better than him, let's ha- we're, let's throw down the gauntlet. Mirror match, Azalea let's go. Azalea be Azalea. Yeah. Who can hit the red ledges first? <laughs> no, um, Azalea just sucks against Control Ninja, um, that pistol's dash deck, mm-hmm. and has it pretty tough, but I beat a number of Guardians. So, yeah, Azalea's underpowered and underwhelming, but without Control Ninja or Dash, you have a much better shot in the field. Nice. Put it that way. Cool. You know? So still not the best deck, but you know it's like certainly playable in the current meta. If only Bravo wasn't in there. All right, that's enough Azalea Corner. Oh, sorry. Get out of here <laughs> with your bows. I just, there's just not of Azalea. A lot of Azalea fans for me to talk to. <laughs> well, you can go hang out with Richard and have your own Azalea podcast. They're in the. Sorry, the, I know I flipped flopped here a lot on. They're in the the Discord channel going. Did you figure out Azalea yet? <laughs> That's is what that, all the Azalea it, fans are doing. At, at Ijak, is that what they're saying? <laughs> to you specifically? No, just to each other. Oh, okay, all of yeah. us. Did together. you figure it out? No. <laughs> Did you? No. Okay. All right, moving on. On to the news. We have quite a bit of news this week. I suppose. Well, more than last week. Oh, nice. All right. Uh, you want to lead it off? Nope. I'm throw- I'm passing oh, the okay. mic to you. That's right. why I, I looked at you <laughs> in that manner. Gotcha. Um... Uh, so first of all, we just want to kind of shout out um, and have a little prelude here to uh, FabDB, who had been in the game for a very long time, um, who now, and the creator like runs the Wraith Times, who has a lot of writers and, you know, puts out some very good articles. Um, FabDB has evolved quite a lot over this whole time. Um, and uh, they're still, in, they get a lot of numbers too their like website hits are pretty pretty up there um the premier uh deck builder resource i guess in the game and uh follow up to that we are going to interview the creator of fabdb um coming up here in a july episode yep anything else you want to add to that no you just have that to to look forward to um we'll get into the nitty gritties uh you know and uh that sort of stuff i was trying to figure out some sort of witty joke right there but i don't, I don't have one just all I, serious i also don't yeah yeah <laughs> when you have a dot net instead of a dot com that's what happens i don't know <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a joke <laughs> uh, at least i hope it's dot net nice <laughs> Well, anyway. Oh, yep. It is. Landed it either way. Okay, got it. Nailed it. Um, All right. Next item. Uh, Red Riot Games is having a very big uh, skirmish event here to finish up the season. Uh, Coming up this weekend. Yeah, so go check that out. It's like over 100 and something players. Um. You know, they're one of the big Canadian players slash biggest players in the flesh and blood scene for sure. And uh, a lot of there's always good competition there. So if you're uh, itching 
for some stitching, go over to Red Riot Games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, skirmishes are a dime a dozen nowadays, but this is like a, a lot of players in a competitive scene. So if you're looking to like, you know, cut your teeth on some, uh, yep. go some check of that it out. hotness, go get them. Um, Next piece of news, Isaac. Um, I just wanted to briefly discuss, because this is like the buzz all over the internet, um, there's been a pretty uh, precipitous price drop in flesh and blood lately that, um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, is the game dying? Like, is everything worthless? Everybody's selling out. Um, so again, I'm not your financial advisor, but uh, I would just like to put it into <laughs> But I would like to be. <laughs> yeah, but I got a bunch of advice for you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just want to point out a couple of things to kind of keep this in perspective, right? Like, um, you know, some of the whales that bought this game back like in Crucible or Arcane Rising or whatever um, make a healthy profit selling at this moment, right? So it's like a good time for them to sell. They, you know, turned their ginormous profits, whatever, if they bought boxes at 80 bucks a box for Arcane Rising or, you know, 500 bucks or whatever. Now they're, you know, three, four or five grand. Um, some of them, you know, are selling off some of their some of their product to get maybe out of the red in their investment in this game and maybe keeping some. Um, but I think for the rest of us, this price drop is a pretty healthy because unlimited cards have no investment value. Uh, they should not cost an astronomical amount. So I think that that's very good that like Monarch Unlimited Majestics go for like five bucks or 15 if they're really like Celestial Cataclysm maybe, but they're all pretty cheap and that goes for unlimited or uh, legendaries as well um, are on the cheaper end. Getting there. They're yeah, getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also you got to remember. So if you look at the entire history of this game, like um, the prices of people's investments in these like first edition cold foils and all these rare cards and boxes, et cetera, like anything that is a limited print run, it's all gone way up right it's only gone down this spring right compared to last winter or last spring or whatever to now we've seen a drop in these prices but for these actually rare cards and like sets including crucible which was a pretty small run it turned out um we're still at like a very healthy um you know profit for your investment from back then um i I highly doubt that this game is just going to keep having this price drop off, right? Like you're not going to see crucible boxes drop to like 150 bucks, you know, it's like, yeah, they, I mean, they sold for 80 bucks a box and then they went up to 1500 and now they dropped to 900, maybe from a little bit of a panic, you know, maybe some people selling off for whatever reason, but I mean, 80 bucks to 900 bucks is like still pretty great. All right, that's all. That's all I got. That's but just your, like that's the end of the news you <laughs> well, have. <laughs> the entire in the entire span of the game's release, um, the value of these cards and assets are is still like way has just like only climbed, right? With these little blips dropping. Sure. That's my point. Okay. More of a PSA. Oh. Well, okay. Fair enough. Saying. Cool. Do you, is there anything you'd like to add to the price? Uh, no. 
Well, because people are just like, the, is the game dying? Did it fail? You know, like all I mean, over the it, internet. And we, I'm like, what? Everything. <laughs> let's just like uh, being on the internet is like that, right? It's like this yeah. deck's broken. If it's not the prices, the game's dying. It's like ban this card, etc. You know, yeah. people are inflammatory all the time. So just keep a level head out there. Yeah. And this has been your PSA from the Attack Action Podcast. Another bit of news. Um, do you want to talk about this this time or save it for another episode? No, yeah. So we have uh, a... We got a learn to play coming up. Oh, yeah. That's what you were pointing at. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was pointing at the other one, but oh. you're. we got to learn to play coming up. Yep, we do. July 3rd at North Coast Role Playing in Eureka, California. So show up at 1 p.m. Uh, you get a free deck. You get to meet us. And, uh, yeah, you get to learn how to play and you get some free cards and stuff. And then, uh, the, the big thing is that we have like a pretty good turnout. So then the shop owner, Barry, shout out to Barry, uh, will start up, Barry? carrying, uh, flesh and blood products. Also, if you need more podcasts, he has a podcast where they do different short runs of, uh, role-playing games and that sort of thing. Nice. Yeah. So to all of our local listeners who do not know how to play Flesh and Blood or but, uh, just want to come meet the new scene. Yeah, we'll, we'll have that. So it's like it doesn't matter if you're uh, a veteran like me and you or if this is your first TCG or whatever, you know, uh, just show up 1 p.m. July 3rd and uh, hang out, play some games. That's all it. right. Yeah. Well, I'm sold. I'll be there. You, you better be. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will also be doing another one in the future at uh, Oasis in, uh, McKinleyville. in McKinleyville. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, all right. If that's all for the news, let's move on to uh, listener questions. Okay. Excellent. So we have a question from perhaps our sup- most super fan, I'm going to say, is Mike. Uh, Mike, you know who you are. I'm not going to say your last name. What's up, Mike? Yeah. Just in case. So Mike on Instagram uh, asks us, can Prism remove cards from her soul before uh, Levia hits with her specialization? And Isaac, how about you answer that one? Okay. The answer is yes. Yep. Uh, Levia's specialization is um, an attack and it banishes cards out of your soul if it hits. So when you play an attack down... Um, you both take turns um, trading windows of opportunity, right? So Priority. Or yeah. priority, yeah. yeah. So you may put on the stack um, Prism's instant ability right. to remove a card. Right. Her her thing is a once per turn instant. Yeah. So you can only remove one and then the rest like burn you from the inside out or something <laughs> crazy. Yeah. But uh, and, yeah, you can remove one. And, and the same thing goes for soul reaping too from chain. So it only has go again if it is an attack, if it's attacking a hero with uh, cards in their soul. So if you only have one card and then you create a spectral shield, uh, then that attack will no longer have go again. Right. So when you play an instant, if I play an attack and Taylor plays an instant on the stack, then once we both pass, it resolves back down the stack, right? Yep. So the instant resolves, and then finally at the bottom, the attack resolves. Yeah. So you check for 
go again on soul reaping or you know you determine the hit effect yeah on Leviathan's card uh mike also has a second question here prism related uh if you attack in aura and i believe he means an aura with spectra uh and you have go again on your attack do you lose go again the answer is yes so if attack does not resolve such as what spectra says the the chain link does not resolve or whatever um you need your attack to resolve to gain that refresh of your action point from go again so if you had parable of humility out there and you attacked it with your head jab that has go again it would not gain go again so that's how those work so it's important to plan the sequence of your turn right so if you play head jab kadachi kadachi and then target the aura with your final attack. Yeah. Then your first attacks will have go again, hit the player. You just need that ending attack. Right. Unless you generate action points as with uh, Reinar or Leviah. Correct. Yeah. Or if you had uh, time skippers or right. uh, time snap potion or that sort of thing. Right. Yep. So you need an extra action point. You could even lead the charge. Unplayable card, but maybe it's playable. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, we have another question also. Yeah, we got the questions stacking up here, so we decided to answer two. Just go go around. Um, and this one's from Jordan. Also, Jordan, your cards are in the mail that I sent you. So enjoy those. What's up, Jordan? (laughs) Uh, another Canadian, Jordan. He's he's in Manitoba. Nice. It's a big big province right in the middle. If you didn't know, your geography. Thanks. Uh. Today's geography lesson brought <laughs> yeah. to you by uh, yeah, Professor Taylor. This is an after-school special. <laughs> um, so Jordan has a couple of questions, but we're going to just answer one of them, Jordan, and maybe get back to the other one later. So Jordan asks, my wife and I recently got a board game called Viticulture, and it's amazing. But what games do you find are great with your partner? So, Isaac, how about you lead that off? Well, first, I'll talk about Viticulture. Excellent game. Lots going on. It's a Jamie Stegmeyer game, so it's, like, uh, pretty good. And cool. I've not played that one. Has a lot. Of, yeah, you make wine, which is a pretty fun theme, I guess, for board games. Cool. Drink wine, make wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's pretty fun. You get one worker. It's basically that. Anyway, uh, what games do you find work well with your partner? I got three right here. I'm going to rattle off. Um, Wham, bam. Near and Far, Dominion, and uh, I call it Castles, but it's like something about the Castles of the Mad King Ludwig or something. Correct. Um, Nailed it. All of these games, like Near and Far, my girlfriend doesn't much like board games, and like she likes playing Dominion with us. And it's that game is like fun for it. My sister likes playing. It's fun for like everyone. And like complex enough that board game nerds really love it. Um, Near and far, just great adventure buddy time. It's technically competitive, but you're really just adventuring around together. Um, And, you know, castles just... I mean, even if you lose, you built this quirky castle. All right. Yeah. On to you. Thank you. Uh, I have also three. So one of them is uh, Railroad Inc., which is a roll and write. Uh, which uh, Yahtzee is the kind of mainstream example of that. So you roll some dice and you try to line up uh, railroads and roadways in a really fun way to score the most points. 
it's a fun little puzzle that you both can play at the same time and you are technically competing but um it it uh is more of just like a, a figuring out a puzzle together uh and, but if your partner and you are into like dueling and duking it out and stuff, then you should just play Flesh and Blood. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, sometimes it's a lot better with the person you want to uh, sleep with every night to have like a more relaxing game to play with one another. So Railroad Inc. hits that spot. You could also try any of the cooperative lcgs those are pretty good and have lots of replayability um so like marvel champions is really fun if you guys are into the marvel universe um we really like that game it's like pretty fun to play as captain marvel or she hulk and just like beat up bad guys and yeah, be it's a, relaxing and be a hero um <laughs> but if you want something that's more kind of thematic and immersive and more challenging arkham horror is a really good story-driven uh cooperative lcg and it's set in a kind of uh horror theme based on the works of hp lovecraft so uh that game i really love i love all three of those games so those are my recommendations boom so have fun <laughs> totally that should keep you busy for a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally and it's a variety of prices too oh, yeah good dog hilda just popping in to say hi to you okay anyway we've rambled on forever before we did anything is that it oh no we have this thing to talk about yeah we do okay what do you mean we talked about a bunch of important things oh oh good <laughs> yeah you're right um okay so we want to talk briefly about our patreon so we have decided on kind of rewards and what we're going to do with it uh for the foreseeable future all of this is subject to change and whatnot but uh isaac break down the tier list okay we have three tiers at four dollars eight dollars and twenty dollars a month yeah totally and if you guys didn't figure out the the fun behind that is is like $4 is just like a really good attack in right. Flesh and Blood and we're the attack action podcast. And a really low amount of money. <laughs> yeah. And then 8 is like when Isaac plays Azalea for the 5,000th time against me. He, <laughs> he says 8 dominate like every other turn. So that's like our inside joke. And then $20 <laughs> is just there because if you're going to do a bunch of damage, you might as well do 20, you know? Yeah, totally. Okay, so that anyway, if we haven't <laughs> talked about that and the reasoning behind all of those things, if it was, if it, it missed on you, there you go. The best joke is the joke you have to explain. <laughs> <laughs> so that flew over all your over, over all your heads over there. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So we figured out some uh, initial rewards. The first tier at four dollars a month. Um, is a we're going to so Taylor set up a discord for the attack action podcast it has like gaming rooms discussions um, there won't be any trading because we don't want to monitor you guys ripping each other off or whatever <laughs> um, so, sorry <laughs> but um, so if you so like I found that I 
had been in like a bunch of these discords from like previous skirmishes, but they're kind of like, none of them were really the complete package of what I wanted. Like some of them had a few cool people or some of them were good for pickup games or some of them had like had nobody I knew or, you know, um, so we've been really enjoying having our own discord with a few people, um, just to like test it out and use it. Um, we're going to focus on play testing, friendly games, um, you know, discussion, uh, and just keep it to, uh, Patreon members. Also, we're going to have a bi-monthly every other month. Mm-hmm. Does bi-monthly mean two things? Yes. Okay, so a bi-monthly <laughs> tournament. <laughs> every other month. For um, all of the members of this um, Discord so, yeah. and Patreon who would like to partake. Yeah. You can also uh, have input into the tournament structure. Right. So, so no matter what tier you subscribe at, uh, you will get access to the Discord, and you get a chance to play in a Battle Bros sanctioned webcam tournament. Yes. So, this is the idea: is if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know we've been entertaining ourselves during quarantine by coming up with weird ways to play the game. You know, over a weekend, like we'll play <laughs> Blitz first, and then you'll play Classic Constructed, yeah. and whoever gets the most wins gets the champion's chalice or we'll trade decks and play with them and then switch them back and play with them you have to play with one eye closed (laughs) and standing on one foot and your hands sewn together (laughs) totally Totally. yeah with 240s taped to your hand um so uh we've been doing that but now we're opening that up to the discord for a webcam situation and I recently have purchased a new chalice for us to have. And we have the old chalice, which Woo! This is sick. <laughs> which is I'm gonna modify it a little bit more, but it's basically like unusable because it holds like four ounces of liquid, right? So you it was hard to flex on your opponent with your four ounce liquid with tippy teacup. Tippy teacup. <laughs> so what we're gonna do is we're gonna have our Battle Bros tournament and then which we will be a part of, Thomas from our podcast fame is going to be our TO and potential participant. What we're going to do is the winner, we will send them the champion's chalice. And then you will get to have it until the next time, which then per gentleman's agreement, you have to send it to the new champion unless you win again. So then you get to keep it. So that's what we're going to do. And if I mean, the first person agreement, you're also going to get kicked out of the discord. If you keep the chalice. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, like, if you never send it, like, whatever, then that part of the thing is gone forever. Oh, okay. You know? Or that, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's what we're doing. All three tiers get access to that. Continue on. Sorry, that was a long that's, explanation. No, great pitch. I hope you're um, psyched. I just hope, like, we build a small, tight community that, like, has fun playing together. Um, and it's pretty fun to play with, uh, friendly people, you know, after a while, you yeah. know, and also play with some different people than your tiny friend group, um, for yeah. variant sake. Like literally Colin is my internet friend. Yeah. You know, I get to see his face every once in a while on webcam, but he's very much my internet friend. Sorry, Colin. I want you to be my real life friend, but we haven't <laughs> met each other in real life. Hopefully we remedy that soon. But even with internet friendship it's still i feel like a very good friendship 
and I'm always excited to hang out with my internet friend, Colin, which I will now be calling you that, Colin, my internet friend, <laughs> Colin. What's up, Colin? Sorry, <laughs> you shout out a bunch of people. I just keep wanting okay, to say Keep hi. going. We got to get right, through this so right. we can talk about something else. Gotcha. Um, so the second reward that is available to all tiers is when now Taylor has bought a box of Monarch Unlimited. And when we do our pick pass prey segment, we will send the rare or majestic, whatever. Rare enough. Okay. So there's usually a rare and there could be a majestic. Right. Card that comes out of that pack to one lucky. Uh, well, we're so going to send you all card like every month, I think. So two episodes. You get two episodes worth of rare and up cards. We'll gotcha. To you randomly. Anybody who's to a random Patreon. Random patron. Patron. So tier two is going to get all of those sweet rewards. Plus, you're going to get a few uh, attack action podcast stickers and uh, some other things down the road. Tier three gets all of those things. Plus, you're going to get a custom attack action podcast playmat upon signing up. Um. So those are all of our tiers, and those are all of our rewards. Uh, if if it turns out uh, you are a long-term subscriber, like if you're a tier three subscriber for six months or a year, or, you know, whatever, um, we will come up with and promote more stuff down yeah. the line, potentially, yeah. or, you know, have drawings for, um, you know, random prizes um, later on. Yeah, but those hard. are the initial uh, sign-up swag, and you can get this nowhere else. Correct. Yeah. The the Patreon is is very much a living document, just like our Constitution in the United States. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> oh, and the first five patrons to sign up for our podcast are going to get sent some sweet promo cards. Yeah. So we already have some people who have signed up. So you're right. grandfathered into this sweet rewards program. Obviously. And you will if you're already signed up, you're you'll get your rewards. Yeah, but don't don't tweet me right now because <laughs> I'm not on Twitter. But um, so anyway, the the next until we're out of promos, I guess the first few people to sign up are going to get some uh, free promos in the mail. In addition to all this stuff. Thanks for listening to my pitch. Go uh, support us uh, on our Patreon. Yep. Thank you. All right. Transition. Into our main topic, which is developing and testing a deck. So, uh, let's start right at the top here. How do you start testing and developing a deck, and where do you start, Isaac? Okay. Um, Taylor and I have uh, kind of different processes, um, especially starting out. So, I'll just give you uh, the quick, the short and sweet, how I approach a character, and then we'll pass it back to you. Cool. All right. Um, so when I get a new character, uh, when like um, planning the outline for this podcast, I thought of Levia a lot because it was a brand new character with brand new mechanics um, that I had, you know, not had no experience with. Um, so the first thing I do personally is I try to get a feel for the strengths and weaknesses and kind of tempo um, of a character and what they're capable of, right? So I will lose a few games, but I will make, you know, a control meat axe deck 
and I'll make an aggro deck to see how much damage I can just pump out and race my opponent, you know? I'll make a mid-range deck to see what the exchanges are, and in the process get a feeling for all of the cards as well. And that's basically where I where I start out. Um, and then moving on from then, I have a clearer idea of what cards are a little better, what their strengths and the character's strengths and weaknesses are, and what tempo slash strategy I would like to play them at. Um, where do you start out, Taylor? Um, so I start with, uh, well, first picking a hero. So I'm going to use Bolton as an example for the majority of this conversation um, because that's something I've been uh, developing on my own for since the release of Monarch, basically, which was surprising because I didn't think I was going to be that psyched on Bolton, but I think he's so fun to play. So... As I was kind of looking through my collection of cards, I uh, we pulled a Raiden Duskbane. And so I thought, okay, well, how can I make this weapon work the best? So that's kind of where I started from on that deck. But typically it's usually from like a big concept or a combo of cards or something. And I try to build the deck around that, right? So... Uh, the concept of Raiden is, okay, uh, how many, like, this weapon is free. How can I get it to swing nearly every turn? And then how many reds can I just pile into that deck since my cost curve can be so low? So that's kind of like the concept of that deck, right? And then, like, figuring out the coolest combos with Luminara or... Lumina Ascension and that sort of thing. So that's usually where I start is figuring out kind of a deck concept or archetype with the hero uh, and then try to put my the leanest amount of cards together, like no more than 65 cards. So between 60 and 65 cards and uh, really agonizing over each card and trying to figure out its role before I even play it, rather than kind of just putting together 70-ish cards and whittle it down from there. I find it's easier to test and quickly get to uh, figuring out all the cards' roles in the deck if I have it a little bit leaner, and then add cards in. Hopefully that makes sense. that makes sense to you? Yeah, I think so. And uh, if I'm following you right, you will, you know, look at Raiden... And then look at, then you see, okay, so there's like V of the Vanguard, Lumina Ascension. Yeah. And then you look at those three cards or whatever cards you pick. Right. And then yeah. you're looking at, okay, what cards enable this, these combos that I can see and then build your deck outward around that. Yeah, 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 basically. Because Raiden you, is a zero for zero attack weapon, but gets plus three if you charge, which is uh, really cool. So then if you charge, so if you, then you're like, oh, take flight is obviously very good. So you need to take flight, charge, it has go again, and then you can swing Raiden for three, right? It's kind of right. like a pretty typical play pattern for that deck. Um, so yeah, correct. That's, that's where I start and then try to fit my 60 cards uh, around that concept in the best way possible. So yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, so then uh, where do you go, Isaac, after your kind of uh, initial sit down with your deck? Um, so once I have a feeling for how the character works, um, 
then I'm going to sit down and like try to make, right? So then I have this kind of an idea of what I would like to do, right? So what is my goal? So what is my deck trying to do or the deck I'm trying to create now doing, right? And uh, my first Leviathan build, I'm trying to use Hexagore because it, you know, is very efficient, you know, card wise and just like damage for money wise and all that. Um, and then, you know, you, so I want to swing Hexagore, but then that has a couple prerequisites, right? Like I have to play my, pay my blood debt every turn because Hexagore requires a certain amount of banished blood debt cards. So then I'm going to have to pay my blood debt every turn and swing Hexagore, right? So then that's what my deck is doing. I'm doing this because it's, uh, going to pump out a lot of consistent damage per turn and be fairly card efficient. Um, so then I just set out after that, I pretty much go into my like regular deck building mode, which, you know, we talked about in episode three, but all, you know, it just, it looks at your ratios, right? Like for this specific build, it's a high percentage of sixers, high percentage of blood deck cards, um, high percentage of blues because it's fairly expensive, right? Um, I need so many cards that fill all of those roles, hopefully, and function before Hexagore is online because I would start the game without a weapon, essentially. Um, you know, low cards that don't block, low percentage of cards that don't <laughs> block. Um, I need cards that banish cards, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm just into deck building mode, right? right? So Where I like, I do that, build the deck, and then you move on to uh, test further. Yeah, so then, so you you like to get that initial kind of all of those data points of kind of where a hero can go within the the realm of their card pool, and then start to kind of refine uh, your concept of the deck and what it needs to do. Am, correct. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, like so when I first started the game and started with Azalea, yeah. I tried maybe three iterations of trying to make aggro Azalea and quickly gave up on each of them. Right. right. Um, which I think some people out there would argue that aggro Azalea like is possible, but I disagree. And at least for well, me you personally, mean like, like a go wide multiple yeah, arrow. Low blocking yeah. high damage, you know. Yeah. Um so yeah, um, which is interesting because compared to your start, I think uh, you take a specific line or idea with a deck yeah. and kind of yep. optimize it fastest. Yeah. So you're going to build the best Raiden deck as fast as possible. So I think you get to kind of a, a best deck before mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. Um, I kind of try to feel out all of the veins and then after that hone in on one. So maybe I have an idea of how each weapon functions a little better, but I'm not an expert in any one. Right. Um, right. So that's basically how our testing goes, or our um, starting out with a new hero yeah, goes. Yeah, our, our initial foyers. Right. Foy what's a, I feel like that's the wrong word. Anyway. Yeah, foyer is like an entry. Entry. Room. No traps in the foyer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard rule. Anyway. Uh our voyage into uh, with the new hero. Um, yeah. For me after that, I, I make very few changes to kind of my original concept, you know, in, you know, let's say I have 65 cards. Um, 
I try to play as many games against many different heroes as I can and try to just get reps in with that deck because I feel, or for me, I need all of those uh, specific data points for seeing your deck a bunch of times in a bunch of different situations um, and that sort of thing so I can then make changes, right? Like rather than like play a game, maybe I didn't see uh plunder run or something like that uh or i chose to charge it rather than arsenal it or something and so i'm like well maybe i'll take plunder runs out rather than like really considering all of the cards in all of my plays right and and making sure i'm conscious of what cards i'm playing what cards i'm blocking with what cards i'm pitching you know, that sort of thing to try to figure out if there are or just what all of those cards are doing and can I play them better before I change it? Because there's this big point, I think, in my process and and maybe you agree as well, but there's a point where you have to try to identify whether or not your idea is bad or you are bad, right? Agreed. So if, because if, so let's say I put together these 60 cards, right? And I win the next three games. Is my idea good? Am I just really good? Are my opponents not prepared for what's happening? You have to be really subjective. And then maybe I lose the next 10 games. Uh, But is that me being bad? Is that the deck being bad? So you really have to play enough to understand like oh okay the limiting factor actually is the cards in my deck not me being able to optimize and play them efficiently in the matchup so that's kind of where i try to get the the next step to because i feel like i can make much better decisions about cards going in and out or changing my resource curve or that sort of thing once i get to that point so it takes kind of a while for me right so hopefully that made was clear yeah yeah i think so um just to elaborate on that like i think uh what you said about plunder run is a very good example right because it's a red that blocks for two and you pretty much have to play it out of arsenal to have it have any effect yeah those are like pretty huge drawbacks but you have to play a game in which you play kind of uh all out and then you have to maybe play a game where you maybe block and prioritize arsenaling plunder run over damage output that turn, et cetera. Yeah. And you have to, uh, like you said, like make sure that you're piloting. You have to try um, like the different scenarios or different paths you can take for piloting a deck working around plunder run. So then you can weigh those different play styles with the card and then, and then it goes to the chopping block or not. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and to use the new heroes as an example because they're new and stuff, like you also have to spend time figuring out like uh, two things, like how many cards do I need in my graveyard before I can go off? Uh, how many how many cards in my soul do I need to have charged before I can also go off? You know, like what's the minimum, and then what are what's the like kind of maximum range you know if i have three cards in soul do i really need to take more damage on this big turn so i can keep two cards to play express lightning and charge or could i just like 
do something else impactful. Block out Arsenal a card, right? Or or just play Express Lightning without having charged or anything like that. You know, so you you have to have to get enough games in to to get that feel for me. Yeah, you know. No, I 100% agree, and this is where our strategies kind of probably align um, from this point forward because it's just like I found with Leviah. There's like so many factors. Like, at what point do you flip the switch and start like going aggressive and paying your blood debt? You know, um, is it worth it to have these non-block cards that? you know swing for six and fuel your graveyard or is it worth it just to block first and apply no pressure so how many cards in your graveyard for your current build is enough to like go and then you get into like you know all the different matchups and stuff like that when you do that and that's this is a whole bunch of different questions just about the tempo at which i'm playing the deck not about the cards at all or about like different behavior and different matchups and all of that. So yeah, that comes back to just, it takes a ton of reps. Yeah, it know? really does in this game, especially because you can, the cards are for the majority of the time flexible enough and you being able to like pitch cards and no different combos and stuff. You can really kind of have a bit more play with some cards uh, than you can in like other games. You know what I mean? So like Plunder Run is one of the most narrow examples. It does its one thing from Arsenal. That's where it's like most efficient and most impactful. Um, but there, and and that's just an example of like kind of a hard and fast card in uh, a majority of decks. Um, but like a majority of warrior cards are uh pretty flexible um because they all block for three and so that's kind of the joy of playing warrior is that you get a large amount of block for three cards so something like uh you know warrior's valor red you don't really want to or even the yellow let's use the yellow as an example um you don't really want to block with it, but you can. And that's like one of its roles. And since it's a yellow, it pitches, you know? So, uh, and then you'll see it like late game. So if you're, you can make a strategy around using that flexible card is my point, is that you will, you can find uh, ways with certain cards that you like to, particularly use that perhaps maybe the meta doesn't like to use that's that's kind of my point is that uh yeah you can find a specific way to use a certain card or a certain set of cards that is you know not what person a b or c is saying on the internet but you find is effective for your gameplay in your strategy right that help yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, because our brains all work kind of differently. So I find I do better when I'm playing a deck that kind of is my, how my brain works, you yeah. know, like not, um, I don't typically like to play games like deep control, right? So if I'm playing a deck like that, you know, I can get used to it or you can practice that. But if it's not really your forte, uh, you're at least not initially going to be as strong at it if that's not your go-to mode, I think. Um, and I'd like to, like, so as you start, once you have an idea of your deck, um, as you start testing, this is at least a trap that I can fall into. 
um, is don't assume cards are like auto includes because if, if yeah. you change up nine cards in your deck, it may behave quite a bit differently and may actually surprise you that it's better. Um, sometimes I'll like play and play and then I'm like, okay, these cards are good. These are bad. And then switch it. And then I get kind of stuck in this certain, um, but you can still pivot your whole, like, you know, turn it up 20% aggro or whatever. And, um, try to make a conscious effort to adjust and it may, um, may surprise you. I have, um, like an example when I was learning Leviah, I, I thought underworldly bellow was excellent cost one pumps for four as a red blocks for three right really good really good value uh pumps your next attack action card yeah. not a weapon um but then in my hexagore deck i just literally never played it right because it's banished three cards cost onto a screamer banished three card cost was just too graveyard hungry so i just put um awakening bellows in intimidate one pump for three so now i can awakening bellow screamer hexagore is way better and i like actually play those all the time um and i just mentioned this because i assumed just because it's so good underworldly bellow was like an auto include and it you know turned out not to be which really surprised me so just try to keep an open mind and make cards prove themselves you know once you've like piloted it in all kinds of ways and kind of figured out exactly your your strength and what you're trying to do you know make sure all of your cards are working towards your goal yeah and uh, two things on that. That's great. Like uh, that you found that out. You at home can still run unworldly bellows. Maybe you prefer that definitely card, right? And that's kind of what we're we're getting at here is that you would rather not have that large tax on your graveyard, um, and would rather just still get have something that pumps dread screamer. You know, that doesn't have to banish three cards or whatever. Um, Oh, what was the second thing you said? Oh, yeah. So then knowing the role of every card is like a beautiful place to be at in your deck building process, which takes a long time. But once you can kind of figure out what your, you know, core cards are, and I'm not going to give you a hard and fast number on what your core cards are. Um, you know, it could be anywhere between uh, 20 and then you have 60 more cards you can sideboard in or out. But uh, just know what ones you need all the time to enact your strategy, right? And that's just like a great place to be at because then it makes for like kind of uh, the final piece of the puzzle for me, which is sideboarding, right? Is figuring out what cards you're going to need outside of your core to help you in a bunch of different matchups um, or make your tough matchups better, Um that sort of thing, you know, and that's like uh, such a fun place to be at in the deck. You really feel like you're a, a master of your own destiny at that point. Okay, so um, why don't you illustrate for us like what makes up your core and what makes up your sideboard? Uh, okay, so my core cards would be anything that I'm going to play in every single matchup, no matter what. So they're just like the bread and butter of the deck or are so powerful that I can play them all the time and it's like always really good, right? So like V of the Vanguard, <clears throat> excuse me, is in every single game. My card's just like super, super good. Red take flight, I'm sure. Yeah, nine take flights 
also uh, a core card. Um, I play the, you know, and the reason those cards are in is because they do what my deck wants to do. My deck strategy is to charge and swing Raiden and deal a buttload of damage, basically, you know? Um, and so those ones make sure I can do that consistently uh, all the time. And then uh, things that I flex in and out of the deck are things that are going to help me uh, against other matchups. Like I have a, a grip of defense reactions and I need those against things like uh, Prism because you can get some just like really efficient blocks with uh, Soul Shield and Red Steel Blade Shunt, you know, against Prism. And then you can throw in the uh, another suite of Reds uh, sink belows and fate for scenes and stuff. And that helps in, uh, other matchups and in the prism matchup and that sort of thing. And if, if you're going against, uh, Dorinthia, you know, you have, you can add in the blue steel blade shunts all of a sudden. Um, and I, and then you're kind of playing more mid rangey, uh, in that sort of thing, but I would not play those, um, you know, against chain or anything like that. I wouldn't play shunts. I, I take all of that out. Um, so those are, those are what like kind of a sideboard card is, is something you need to make a matchup winnable rather than something you need in every game to do your strategy. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I thought I got out of, um, get me going and I, uh, <laughs> I forget where I started. No, that sounds, um, <clears throat> and that we'll talk in a minute about like matchups, right? Um, because that's like the next, like what your deck is trying to do is right. So you have an idea of what your deck does and does well, but then what you do in each matchup can be quite a bit different because this, that's one of my favorite parts about this game is that it's so matchups are so varied. Um, so I'll use like Azalea as an example. I have my like 55 card core or sure. whatever, but um, <laughs> my, my dog's getting a little restless. <laughs> um, I have my 55 card core, whatever it is. Um, and then I have like kind of a suite of defense reactions, um, you know, a couple feign deaths. Um, but then another part of my sideboard is and I mentioned this because it's like not always what you think, right? Like um, another part of my sideboard is poison the tips, another seek enlightenment. Um, forget what else I have in there, but what seek enlightenment, seek horizon. Oh, okay. Sorry, this is a new card. <laughs> um, a third copy of Memorial Ground. Um, these cards that let my deck go wider and put on more pressure, right? Because like poison the tips is like a pretty terrible card in most matchups but if you're playing like chain or guardian or somebody who's just not going to block you in order to hold their hand and swing back um these cards then become really powerful when your your goal of stripping cards is more important than getting damage through um it becomes really good so these these generic um attacks that allow me to go wider and, um, you know, adding in additional hit effects um, are just as important as the defense reactions. 
And on top of that, um, I found, so when I faced Dorinthia, I side out some of my core cards are now like part of my sideboard. I take out a plunder run, a foresight, I think a take aim, one of each of these red block for twos, because the only way I can compete in that match is if I side in all of my defense reactions and side out, you know, six of my block for twos or whatever. Otherwise, my ratio is just too high, even though foresight is so good. It's just you'll get a hand with all red block for twos and Dorinthia will have a powerhouse turn. Um, and so that's a very, a very narrow margin, right? But it makes your deck feel much different. So like just taking out six block for twos is huge. Even though in a 70 card deck, it doesn't seem like that much. It's uh, it makes a big difference. So, I mean, obviously in all these different matchups, you're going to have to uh, hone your sideboard because there are a lot of matchups out there. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, those are great examples of, um, you know, how to kind of flex your deck around and uh, make your life a little bit easier for yourself um, and that sort of thing. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, so like when you're going through this process, how do you treat uh, your wins and losses? Huh. Um, well, losses are obviously easier to learn from because you mm -hmm. can look back on... Um, like today, for example, I had one play I could have played differently. I'm unsure if I made the right play or not. Still unsure, but I'll think about it later. And then I had one pretty bad misplay, um, you know, that may or may not have cost me the, the game. But it just, like, it puts things under the spotlight for you to, like, really look at. Because you're like, oh, I lost in this close game. And then those things come to the forefront of your mind. Um and those things happen when you win also. It's yeah. just a little bit harder to look at them. Um, it's a little easier for me if on my turn I play it out and then I'm like, ah, shit, you know, I should have played this differently. Like last night in my game against Bolton, um, I had a, a very inefficient turn, but won anyway. Mm -hmm. But it's important to not just like forget about that, you know. Um, is that kind of what you mean by that question? Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, my answer to that is you have to know uh, your intention for the game you're about to play, right? Like, is this for data or does this game mean something and I have to win, right? So, uh, but for the sake of the podcast, we're going to say most of the games, right, are I need some data, so right. I try not to get attached to outcomes. Like the other night, Monday night, uh, for testing, I beat everybody. I didn't lose a single game, you know, um, which is cool. But I also made sure that I thought about like the whole game and tried to talk to my opponents afterwards and tried to learn uh, despite having like a positive outcome, right. And be as subjective as possible. So if you're really trying to like test and, and refine your, your deck and your list and that sort of thing, you a always have to play to like, I think to win, right. You can't, cause you'll fall in this trap of, and I do this too, of like, 
oh, well, this is just testing, so I'm going to do this fun play to see what that's like. And it's like, well, is that fun play only possible because you're like, I'm going to take 15 damage when I know I shouldn't if I'm going to win this game and then do this fun turn to see it happen? Because that might be the only situation that that turn comes up in. So it's, it behooves you more to play to the game and the game state to help you make sure your data you get from your testing is the most, uh, I don't know what the word would be. Accurate in a Ac- real life yeah. situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, so, uh, so that. So like I try to be as objective as possible regardless of outcomes. I would agree with that, except I have one point of pushback. That's probably just for me, sure. how yeah, I will yeah, operate yeah. personally. Um, I will sometimes, I think it's important to play the game trying to win, right? Not trying to pull off your fun combo. But sometimes in testing, I'm in a position where I'm like, okay, usually I, let's say I play this safe in for value, right? Like I'm going to block six, swing back with seven, it's the best scenario I have, right? But then, you know, sometimes in testing, I'm like, okay, um, is this maybe the pivot point in the game where I like grab the momentum and then kill them the next turn? So I think testing for me is just a little bit more flexible in that sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to play this like this, this turn, because that's not normally how I play it, but it's also a good option. And then I'll like learn how that plays out. But I think to your point, um, that's like different than trying to build your fun win more combo. It's like it has to be like a real, a real plan of attack. Yeah, you know? because I, and I would push back again on that. Just the push and sure. push push around here. <laughs> uh, is that like I would a not want to develop that habit habit, and b I would only do that maneuver of like oh well. I think I'm going to pivot here. If I had been previously pitching and thinking about trying to find that pivot turn, right? Rather than just letting kind of RNG take over and be like, oh, sick, I arsenaled the right card and I have these other four cards with the resources to pay for this sweet thing. Here's my pivot turn, right? Because you can still pivot and then lose the game because you didn't. Uh, set your deck up to continue your momentum. So I would only try to do that if I was consciously looking for that. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 So that, that would be my part of that process, which I'm glad we're getting into this. This is the, the parody I've been waiting for (laughs) in this podcast. Um, Well, to just push forward maybe, or push the point. (laughs) I just wanted to say those. Well, then I will lunging press you. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, All right, where are we at? Oh, I thought you I thought you actually had something to no, say. No, I don't have any oh. counter directly to what you said. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, um, well, let me look at my list here. Um, okay, so what about net decking? Does that fit into your process at all or or what? Yeah, so I was going to uh, talk about this at some point. So if you don't love... Wait, first, explain to me what net decking is, and then 
answer my question. Oh, looking at a professional winning player's deck and copying that and making that deck and maybe watching a few videos of them piloting it to see how it's played and then playing that. Cool. Okay. Um, Continue. So for me personally, I very much enjoy deck building and I enjoy the creativity of it. Um, It's like enjoyable for me. So that's one reason I prefer not to net deck. I also don't like... So if I net deck something, I'm kind of already in that box um, of that mode or whatever. Whereas I always try to find how I want to play the deck on my own mm-hmm. better. Um, that said, though, once I do explore all of you know the aforementioned things about Leviah, for example, um, then I will like look at other people's lists online because once you've like explored a character and tested a bunch and like tried to like you know figure out all your own ideas then sometimes looking at other players lists you're like oh man that is a really good card in this deck or like even looking at a list and saying like why is that card i don't get that but then you see a video of it played and you're like oh that's genius you know so um i think that that has a lot of value um depending on just where you want to splice it into your process I will say, though, that like if you don't enjoy deck building, net decking, and then maybe tweaking it to your preference or to your local meta is like for sure the most efficient way to go. Um, the only thing I would warn against, though, is that neck decking is really easy if you're trying to play like Ira or uh, Pistols Dash or something. But if you're trying to play, you know, uh, Azalea or you know, Visrai or something, you can still get good ideas out there, but nobody, you know, a lot of the ideas you're going to see are probably not winning decks. So just keep that in mind, right? Like copying, you know, Blitz Tall Dorinthia is more likely a winning formula than copying, you know, like somebody's constructed Azalea input because nobody's busted that. Right. Um, yeah. So what's your, give us your whole lowdown on net decking, like how it, fits into your process and just your opinions on it for other people's yeah uh, okay. information yeah definitely so f- first off i would i would start with uh what we have talked about so far in this podcast it takes a lot of time and effort and it takes a battle buddy or a few you know right. to play against and all be in the right mindset which i will we'll talk about that later like how to test but net digging is a great option if you don't have all of those things, right? So totally. just like totally go do it, jam some games, make some changes that you need and just freaking go ham. Um, but for me personally, uh, net decking is, is the, probably the most fluid part of my process. You know, uh, if for some reason I like can't figure out how to use a card when I'm like setting out cards for the deck idea I have. I'll go and look to see if somebody else has done it and then get inspiration from that or partway through the process. I'm like, I think these things are really good about it. Has anybody else done that? And I'll kind of go on a search and find that. Or I will like most previously happened and none of these things for me are, uh, do I track and I'm like, oh, typically around the, you know, 40th game, I net deck or something, you know, that doesn't happen. But recently I was like, okay, 
I'm pretty, I'm feeling really solid with my Bolton list. What are other people doing with their Bolton list, uh, specifically with Raiden? And so I kind of looked up a few decks and gained some inspiration from that. Um, nice. Maybe when you plateau a little bit. Yeah, totally. I feel like I've, <clears throat> I'm taking things as far as I can right now. Progress is happening a little slower. Let's just see what uh, other people are doing, you know? Right. And mainly for me, it was like, well, what the hell do I sideboard? Because it felt like pretty solid, you know? So uh, so I got some inspiration for that. Um, nice. And yeah, like as you were saying, net decking doesn't have to be just copying a deck and not yeah, doing anything with it, right? Yeah. It is like an important influence. I think in like every competitive player or just maybe casual players, you know, building or playing in this game, it's like you're going to look at other people's lists at some point. Uh, yeah. You'd be foolish not to. And somebody had this really great example on Facebook a while ago. I wish I could credit them with it. Um but so somebody was maybe asking about net decking or development of decks and that sort of thing. And some somebody posted about kind of the the differences in fighting games between uh, Americans and uh, the Asian countries. So Americans in a fighting game, apparently, and this is, who knows if this is true, but I this is... I think it was Japanese versus American sure, players sure. in... Well, anyway, keep sure. going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just a good uh, kind of thought experiment or philosophy or just something to think about. But uh, American players will like figure out sweet combos or counters to known combos and kind of covet them and hide them and then wait until the big stage for nationals to unleash them upon one another. Whereas in... Um, the Asian country, uh, all of the best players collaborate together and figure out a counter to the counter and then counter that counter. So they're like really as much farther ahead than American players are in the, uh, you know, meta or whatever, like they're steps ahead of the counter that they've already figured out. So then when worlds happens for this, for a particular game, that uh, the U.S. just gets smoked because they're like two steps behind, you know? Um, and so my point is, is we still see that happening, right? Uh, for competitive, for this competitive game is everybody's kind of plays everything uh, close to the chest before unleashing it on the meta, you know? And it makes for a slow change in the game you know if people aren't willing to really collaborate with one another you know like i know there are some play testing groups that you know try to build one deck together or whatever like that but you really if we kind of pooled together we could transcend is my point right you know yeah i agree that's one downside of net decking right is like i mean ira is just whomping everybody for so long Right. And then, um, you know, Tower and a number of people started playing Tall Dorinthia. Um, but it, it like took quite a while for for the number of skirmishes and games happening. It took like longer than I expected um, just because it was like it seemed like because a lot of players are newer to the game itself. So maybe less, uh, um, you know, likely to branch out 
or take a risk, but I'm um, also just kind of like, it's like Ira is dominant and the best player or character in Blitz. So, you know, I, it seemed to me like too many players were net decking Ira and not figuring out a way to beat her. Right. Um, so the meta did evolve, but not that quickly. Um, I felt like because of net decking, right. Which is like always going to happen. It's just right. a symptom of the game. But, um, yeah, anyway, speaking of slow movement. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. So, um, not that I'm saying that anybody's process is wrong or whatever. Um, you know, I, you know, I just would like to see things move faster and for kind of our hive mind as a community to perhaps like, uh, move forward a bit more, you know, share more. Cause at least in America, that's like our deal is like, we covet, you know, and like, don't share the things we have and stuff and try to just get yours. But if we were more kind of thinking outwardly less inwardly perhaps we would uh you know beat matt rogers at worlds or something isaac you could do it (laughs) (laughs) thanks you too we're we're working on it we're working on it yeah um speaking of we uh we're ready to move into testing just a little bit here yeah 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 like how Um, to and stuff yeah and um just to like uh, preface all of this uh, I think Taylor and I both agree that so the best way to truly test and prepare especially if you're working on something new is for you to both collaborate on the same idea right so uh, and Taylor brought this up earlier um, like so say we're trying to make um, a, a aggro dash a boost dash deck to beat the current meta right so I would play with our current deck 12 times against Taylor on the other current decks, right? And then we'd switch and Taylor would play 12 times with that dash deck against all the current decks. And then we would collaborate and try to pool our brains around making this boost dash deck better, right? Um, And our play group does not do that because we split up the characters for specialization and economic and just like to make things easier reasons, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, um, it's a little bit harder for us. Like it's, uh, as a outside, um, perspective, I can give Taylor advice on like how he's playing Bolton and be like, you know, if you would have taken this line, it would have pressured me better. Right. But that advice is like much more limited because I don't play Bolton. Right. right. So I can only be of so much help. Um, yeah. so again, if you're, if you're really, really trying to break something, you all have to work together. Yeah. On the same thing. Yeah, definitely. And then you like make cool t-shirts that have your name on it. And then you show up at the event in sunglasses with your cool shirts on. Yeah. You're all on the same deck. And then as you uh, start to tally up those losses, you go to the bathroom and take that shirt off. (laughs) And like... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, just drop and go have a beer. (laughs) Um, Um, So getting into testing... um, so let's, can you just, um, walk us through, like when you sit down to test for a day, what are you thinking about? Right? Like, what are your goals? How do you prioritize what you're doing? Right. You know, what, what are you thinking about? Right. So I would also have a preface preface that we just have not had time or the real, uh, drive with an event that's important enough to us to really do the type of testing that 
I perhaps am about to explain, you know? Yeah, totally. That's my biggest hindrance in this game is like a lack of time to test. Right. Because it, as we'll explain coming up, it takes like the more reps, the better. And it takes, it takes a ton of reps to even be like good. Yeah. You know? So, so so how I would ideally uh, do it uh, is that you would get together with whoever on a very regular basis and slap together what you believe to be the best decks right so let's just say we have deck a deck b and deck c so then with whatever your concept is to counter those three decks uh, you would get reps against all of them in a variety of situations so you'd play you know best of 10 against all of them and just switch off like going first going second rather than rolling right so you can actually get that little bit of data and also setting intention for each testing session. Like, uh, I am trying to beat deck B, but against deck A and deck C, I don't know. So uh, for five matches, I'm going to experiment with this list and then sideboard these X cards for the next five games or something like that. So like being as intentional and purposeful with every game in every rep right rather than just being like well we'll get together which we've kind of been doing in our weekly testing but uh it's totally fine yeah you know because we don't have anything we're playing for except for uh just having the uh uh illusion that it's for something important Anyway. Or, just, or just we don't have the time, right? Because yeah. they were like, all right, I'm going to play Dorinthia a bunch, then Ira a bunch, and then, you know, Brute or whatever. And then, you know, I play five matches against Dorinthia, then it's your turn. Yeah. And then the day's gone. And I'm like, I don't know what to do against Ira. We didn't have enough time. Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. Um, but so my, my overall point is that it would have lots of structure and lots of intention. And you would talk with your partner or partners about, what you guys think is going to be the most uh, efficient way for that to do. So 10 10 reps against A, 10 reps against B, 10 reps against C, and making sure you're talking and uh, kind of uh, debriefing after every single game and going back through potential play lines. You know, I would keep a notepad and make notes about certain parts of the game and that sort of thing, even though it maybe will take longer. Uh, just having as much of those uh, things as possible. Right. And by things, I mean intentional points of data that you can then draw upon. So at what point when you're testing, say, 10 rounds against Bravo, at what point do you make changes to your sideboard and or your deck itself? Um, I think that would be kind of, that would be a fluid process between me and my testing partner. Um, so let's say I go 0 and 10 against Bravo, you know? So then we would talk about... So you would make no changes after five losses. Yeah, totally. I would... Or oh, okay. like maybe... So let's say I've come up with you know, my 70 card list. So I do have some cards I want to side in and out. So I would play around with those cards within those 10 games 
or so, gotcha. right? Gotcha. I wouldn't make drastic changes between every match, you know. Um, at least play two games with the exact same list. It it would really depend on the f- what part in the testing process I'm at. But let's say I'm at the end where I know where my sideboard is. And know your deck really well. And know my deck yeah. really well. So I would, and let's say I have, for some reason for this example, no experience against this deck. Right. But I have a theory. So I'm going to side in my cards for that theory, test it two to three games, um, and then make any changes if I need to, right? Gotcha. And then if I go 0 and 10 against that deck, then we would sit down, you know, uh, the royal we, like whoever all of our testing partners are, and talk about is either A, this hero never going to beat this deck, or B, what changes can we make to beat this deck, and what those, how that will affect other matchups. And also right. see I like how prevalent Bravo is in the current meta. Like, am I going to see them at this tournament? Yeah, totally. Definitely. Do, this does character it, does yeah. not, you know. Doesn't matter or not. It's like, yeah. I lose every time to Azalea, but nobody's playing Azalea. Yeah, the odds know? of you matching up doesn't. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Which I don't lose every time to Azalea. That's just an <laughs> no. example here. Um, so. Uh, I've thought that before when I made a deck. Like, I think Kano might roast me. <laughs> you know? Good thing nobody's playing Kano. Yeah. And like in constructed, you know. But I'm like, uh oh. Yeah. I could I could actually this could actually be bad against Kano. But yeah. you know. Um so does that answer your question? I forgot initially what it was now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um I would add in there, um so say you played ten rounds against Bravo, get it all dialed, then play ten rounds against Dorinthia. Then say you decide to you sit down and you make some changes for playing against Dorinthia. If you change your deck too radically, you have to go back and uh guarantee that it can still function against Bravo as well. Um this is in general we're talking about classic constructed here, but this is especially gnarly in blitz right because you have zero sideboard so you're like okay against dorinthia i need just more free defense reactions or whatever but you know then you're gonna go back and forth okay can i beat kano and can i beat dorinthia and can i beat ira you know i because i can't have too many defense reactions or whatever um so again don't don't test get it dialed against bravo and then test against reinar make some changes for Einar, and then it turns out your deck was handicapped against your previous matchups. Right. Yeah, that's a great caveat and a great point there. Um, well, I think we're starting to wrap this up a little bit. Um, unless there's more stuff you have to say, I do have one kind of uh, theoretical question here for you, unless you have other things. Um, I will. I have one more note about like I said, time management, right? Like, cause when you and I meet up for a day and a half to test, I'm like, okay, I need this many reps against this character, but realistically I'm splitting my time with Taylor. So then I have five matches probably, right? Or whatever. Yeah. So I'm just going to play against Dorinthia twice and then we're going to switch to Ira because that's the only testing time we have. But if we're meeting up for these two days and then we're going to meet up for another two days next week, maybe I'll just do all one character this week, you know, but it's really easy to just think you have more time than you have. Yeah. So like, as with all things, time management is a boon. Yeah, totally. Uh, That's also a great point. So my question to you is, 
uh, how do you know if your deck is optimized? And within that question, do you think decks are ever optimized? Whoa. Yeah. Great question. Thank you. I'm a professional podcaster. <laughs> um, I know my deck is optimized when I've played, you know, four or five matches against every other character, and I'm happy with the deck's performance, right? Like some matchups, like with, so with Azalea, I think that my deck was optimized, right? Um, you know, other Azalea players might disagree, and there certainly can be things I'm missing, but that's where you go and like net deck and pool knowledge and like, anyway, just, I felt like my deck was optimized. Some matches, I probably only won a third of the games against Pistols Dash, but for all of mine and my brain power and what I've read online, nobody has figured out anything better. So I played and I'm happy with five matches against every other character or whatever. Um, with Monarch, the new meta, and um, the new cards, I did change. So post-Monarch, my deck is not optimized, right? right. Um, so I guess... I was not prepared for that question, and it's a very good one. Um, so I guess that's my short answer on the spot. <laughs> um, so tell us, how, how do you know your deck's optimized? Like, when do you sit down to tweak your deck for the upcoming Battle Bro tournament or skirmish and go like, I don't need any changes? Um, I don't think I ever feel that way. Yeah. So I don't, th I don't know... So if we can accurately predict the decks you're going to face, then you can optimize your deck. Right, because right? you only have to face three and win the others through skill, hopefully, maybe. Yeah. That kind of idea. Yeah, so like uh, only in that like hypothetical situation where you know what exact characters you're going to face, can you optimize your deck? Right, but as soon as the meta changes, you might not have an optimized deck anymore. You know what I mean? Um, so that's that's how I feel about it. I definitely do feel confident playing my deck at times for sure, um, <clears throat> but uh, I don't know if I ever feel like it's totally optimized every card. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's because because it. Uh, you know, the meta's changed and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, with my Brute List, I was, like, pretty happy about my constructed Brute List, but I would not call it optimized. Yeah. I just didn't have the reps. Yeah. And I was happy with it. And <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because <laughs> um, then you you lose pretty good to Ninja or, you know, whatever, and you're like, yeah. ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> At least I was happy. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move into... Uh, a few of our signature segments. So uh, typically we do some more than the two we're going to do, but um, it's our podcast and we'll just do whatever segments we feel best about. <laughs> so um, we're going to do... Well, we already did board game from the closet for couples oh, earlier. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah we, we just like blasted out so many games. Yeah. We, we have none left for that segment. <laughs> Um, so we're going to do Pick, Pass, Prey. So this is a draft scenario, and um, 
what I have also, what you also can look forward to is if you follow us on Instagram, you will get to see the opening of this physical pack that I've opened of Monarch Unlimited and the three cards we have chosen for this segment that me and Isaac are about to talk about. It's a pretty good pack too that we're going to send to somebody. <clears throat> yeah, it definitely is. So, uh, if this is your first time, this is a draft scenario. I'm going to give Isaac three cards to choose from. He's going to pick one, pass one, and pray one comes back to him around the table. Isaac, are you ready? Yes. Okay. So our first card up is Yellow Plow Through. It pitches for two, costs one, and it's a warrior action that blocks for three. It reads, your next weapon attack this turn gains plus two, and... If this weapon is defended by an attack action card, it gains plus one until end of turn. Card number two is Red Zealous Belting. Cost two, attacks for five, defends for two, and it's a generic attack action, which pitches for one. While there is a card in your pitch zone with attack greater than Zealous Belting's base, Zealous Belting gains go again. It also has this great flavor text. Flails change in a body... Flails, chains, in a body the size of a house. What more could a cultist wish for? As a cultist rides on the back of this behemoth monster. Yeah, it's pretty good artwork. Uh, Our third card is pound for pound red. Cost three, defense for two, attacks for six, pitches for one, and is a generic attack action. And it reads, when you play pound for pound, if you have less health than an opposing hero, it gains dominate so isaac which one are you picking which one are you passing and which one are you praying you get back i'm going to pick red pound for pound wow because it is a sixer which blocks prism is great in levia and is also a win condition card for any hero so long as you get some sort of buff or maybe not, but, you know, ideally with, like, a Warmongers or something um, to pump it up to nine. Or a Captain. Nope. Captain's Call doesn't work with it. But anyway, there's a, a couple buffs in this set that work for pound for pound. Yeah, you um, say Seek Horizon or uh, Seek Enlightenment works to pump it? No, it doesn't. That's just for four go again. No, Seek Enlightenment is the light. Oh, right, attack right, at, right. Or non-attack action. Sorry, folks. I can't keep those straight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I am going to pray Zealous Belting comes back around because that's a the red one especially is a very good card in um, Prism or Leviah. Um, unfortunately, it's not a sixer. But as this is our first pack, this little signal will probably not be online yet. But if Plow Through this good red warrior card comes all the way back to me nobody's on warrior yet i think um but again first pack it's it's pretty tough to like trust that as a, a true signal mm-hmm. um but i would pray zealous belting comes back all right nice all right let's hear it all what right. are what are your you are the uh monarch draft champion <laughs> so That's let's totally hear true. the uh the real champs insight <laughs> um i think this is pretty tough i think you know plow through obviously means you're going bolton and it's very good because if you've charged it basically means your weapon gains plus four uh which is very strong 
uh, and it blocks for three is is kind of the big part here that separates it from the other three. Um, Zealous belting definitely keeps you a little less open than it than pound for pound. So with Zealous belting, you definitely want to be on Prism or Leviya, so you can kind of guarantee that go again, especially since it doesn't pitch. Uh, and then, like you said, pound for pound is a good kind of win condition card and is much more open than the other ones. But it does cost three, so it is kind of resource heavy. Um, so you will have to be making sure that you draft kind of accordingly to that. Uh, I think for me, my heart wants to pick pound for pound. You know, but I think I'm going to go with the zealous belting, uh, and that I, and the reason for that is is because it leaves me open for mainly Leviya, which is a less drafted hero, and so my strategy then will be, I think I'm going to get past a lot of good Leviya cards, and this is really going to help me in that pick. Or it also leaves me pretty open for Prism, which if they're just strong Prism cards passed to me, that's like a win-win situation for me to play something before a Herald that doesn't have Phantasm. Yeah. So, so I'm going to pick Zealous Belting for those two strategical reasons. And then I really do hope Pound for Pound comes back around because I would love to pick that also. Pretty tough, though, for kind of your first round. There's so many reds, but... Uh, we'll see what happens before pound and pound gets around and then plow through i'm gonna pass along maybe if i see it again and and nobody is picking warrior right if i get those signals then maybe i will pick that but that one i think is the not as valuable to me especially because it's not a light card so if i do open a v of the vanguard it is not going to help buff it oh that's interesting yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's just too early first pack to specialize maybe unless the card's really good Totally, yeah. I right, caveat to this note: in this pack, we also opened uh, Dreamweavers and a foil shoes, hooves of the Shadow Beast, and right. and those would be kind of really spicy. Maybe pack one, pick one cards. So we left those out though for yeah, but added minutes. too many cards. Yeah, too many cards. So there you go. That's pick, pass, pray. On to riddle me this with Isaac. Okay, this is uh, this riddle. Be this is a little bit different um, this time around um, because I don't understand uh, market things. <laughs> um, so my riddle me this this time is the uh, crucible tunic and why it is selling for so little, right? So my reasons for wondering this are: crucible was like a pretty low print run, like not much bigger than. Uh, the first two sets arcane and welcome to wraith right and they released those numbers and then everybody gobbled up all the crucible cards knowing this um and it was a print run with only two legendaries so a crucible tunic comes in one in every 480 packs which is very rare well a legendary is like one per uh 10 boxes or something and then there's two legendaries it's like 
96-ish packs. Not in Crucible. Right, right. Um, and so my uh, third point, I guess, is that Tunic is a very strong and played card and part of a lot of winning decks, which is kind of a caveat for um, collector's item, cold foils, and first editions being valuable, right? So um, I'm just wondering, like, Cheyenne is very valuable. Um, you know, cold foil, skull cat, uh, anyway, I could go on and on. But um, just given the rarity and utility of the crew tunic, is it because it's the second iteration after the cold foil um, welcome to wraith tunic? Is that what it is? It's anyway, non foil. Yeah, totally. But it's unique in that way. But less shiny. <laughs> um, so anyway, that that's just what I'm wondering because, like, fo- like for all those reasons, following that sort of logic, you'd think it would be like fairly valuable. Um, and it could just be a little dip in the market, and then this game in five years, it could be like, whoa, that card is bananas rare, um, you know, and still very good, and it could jump back up. But I was just wondering that the other day when I was like trying to put together the reasons for it to not be so pricey compared hmm. to other sought after cards. Um, maybe it is just the not, maybe just people like shiny things. I mean, that's for sure <laughs> a thing. People definitely like shinies. Totally. Um, yep. So riddle me this <laughs> nice. Great segment. Uh, all right. Well, that's our episode. Uh, how about you take us out again, Isaac? Okay. Sounds good. Um, hit us up on Facebook. You can find our Facebook page, Instagram. Um, our Patreon is patreon.com slash attack action podcast. Um, if you enjoy our podcast, please go donate. Everybody just go donate four bucks and it will uh, really help us, you know, uh, keep equipment functioning, um, you know, pay for our time and gas money just to like keep this thing going and we'll uh really help our psych and motivation keep pumping these out for you guys yeah um what else we got going on um uh our fab foundry affiliate link is in our show notes for this episode and every episode it takes like one extra second just you know google our rss feed and then click fab foundry from there and you get a discount when buying singles and we get a little kickback, so that'll help us out as well. Um, you can hit us up at uh, the Attack Action Podcast at gmail.com with um, you know questions for our listener uh, listener mail segment. Uh, if you just want to chat with us, if you got questions about our upcoming exclusive new hotness Discord, um, <laughs> or just whatever, we just love to chat. Um, we really enjoy. Some people just message us like. Hey, we love the podcast and, you know, keep it up. And we're like, yes. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Or lady. Yeah. Genuinely, it's always nice uh, to hear from everybody. Um, and we really appreciate it. Whenever you guys reach out on to us on any platform, uh, it's great. Just really appreciate interacting with you. And I look forward to hanging out on uh, Discord with some new buddies definitely yeah and um if anybody has any questions or insight or you know anything we missed about testing or anything in general just please hit us up and you know we can discuss it on the next episode or you know if you have a question in the listener segment or whatever because i mean like 
you know, testing is kind of a sports science in it on its own, um, and is, uh, very tough, right? Um, a lot of the players you're going against have put in a ton of testing and are very good at the game. And then trying to get one step ahead is uh, not an easy feat. Definitely. Um, all right. That's, that's, that's all she wrote. That's it. Uh, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Good night, everyone. Goodbye. Sleep well.